Last week, I believe we spoke on this particular subject uh, about not presuming uh, on the will of God. And uh, we saw the message last night, or last week, was more concerned uh, with the earthly side of things. It was concerned especially in the fact that we are careful uh, that we stay within our jurisdictions. That's really what the word presume there is, to go outside the bounds, is what they were doing. They went outside their bounds. Um, God had permitted their boundary to be Canaan, but because of the rebellion and disobedience, now their boundaries was pulled, were pulled back, and they were no longer allowed to go into the land for 40 years because of their disobedience and their unfaithfulness to God and His Word. So Canaan land is off limits, if you will, right? For 40 years. But they decide to go up instead and disobey God and be rebellious as they always were and uh, uh, cross the boundaries, if you will, trespass, right? Uh, they were trespassing. I mean, and there's, a sin, there's a sin offering in the Bible that's called what? Anybody know what it's called? Trespass offering, you know, you trespass, you, you went too far, uh, you shouldn't have gone over uh, the boundary right there. And uh, tonight we want to see, uh, keep with that same theme, but I want to see tonight a message I've entitled Spiritual Presumption, Spiritual Presumption, because we could be in danger of presuming upon the will of God and going outside of our boundaries. No doubt about that. That happens in marriages. It happens in jobs. It happens in churches. It happens in governments. It happens in life. We go outside of our boundaries from which we have been instructed, which we should and can do in life, and we trespass against God. But the other matter that we need to consider is that there is a spiritual presumption that we might take in life too. And for as I see it, uh, there is a struggle with all of us of keeping ourselves in bounds of God's will concerning our spiritual walk. In football, you don't get penalized for going out of bounds. The clock stops and sometimes it's actually an advantage to you. Um, and uh, uh, some other sports and uh, in baseball, you don't get penalized for stepping, if you will, out of bounds. Uh, a player uh, can go out of bounds, out of the foul ter- out of the inbound territory, and catch a foul ball. It doesn't matter, you know. But in basketball, if you go outside of bounds, the ball's turned over to the other team. It's a turnover when you step outside of your boundaries and. We've all been tempted at times to live the spiritual life as if I can do it myself. And what have we just done? Well, we've just stepped out of bounds. We've gone outside of our boundary that we've been given in life. And uh, we've really uh, turned the ball over, if you will. We've made a grave error. We've all been tempted to do that. But we can't. Just as much as Israel could not fight the Canaanites by themselves... Without God, because he says that to them in verse number 43, because you have turned away from the Lord, therefore the Lord will not be with you. You see that? You've turned away, and so therefore God will not be with you. 
So we, at the same time, cannot think that we can live in this world of sin and struggle as believers by ourselves also. We must have God on our side. This is a huge issue with all believers. Um, And when I really meditate on this and think about this, it's really this spiritual presumption, I believe, too, is a big reason why uh, believers uh, turn away from God. Why they don't uh, live for God. Why even believers get sad or we get depressed and upset with life in general. Why? Because of spiritual presumption. Spiritual presumption. Where as a believer, you are a saved, born again individual. Your life is now different. Okay? You can't change that as much as you can change uh, the color of your skin or the color of your eyes, all right? We'll say the color of your hair, all right? But, but you can't change that. That's who you are. Uh, and the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount have always stuck out to me when he says, ye are salt, ye are light. That's what you are. There's, there's nothing you can do to change that. That's what you are. That is your property, if you will, is who you are. And it's just not going to work out for us as believers to live outside of the will of God, outside of our jurisdictions. But it's also not going to work out for us as believers to live uh, with this thought in mind, without the thought in mind that I need God's help for me on a daily basis. I was just talking to Karis this afternoon about this. I said, you know, if I live one day, If I live one day in my own strength, and I live just one day not seeking the Lord or not surrender to Him, at the end of that day, I feel that. And that that bothers me. But there's Christians that do this in a progressive way for not just a day, but for months and weeks and sometimes even years. And they wonder, why am I sad or why am I depressed or why is it I can't get the victory? And it's really, it's a spiritual presumption. It's spiritual presumption. It's going back to the natural man that thinking that I can do it on my own, but you can't do it on your own anymore because you're not your own anymore. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, serve, serve God with everything that you have because he's, he, you're His anyhow. The people of Israel were gods, all right? I mean, there is a, so many connections in studying the Old Testament as we've been doing through several different messages and studying uh, really one of the big things and studying on Sunday mornings with the, with the priestly, uh, with, us as, uh, with us as the priesthood of the believer now. Uh, all of these things have really made me see that there are so many connections going back to the Old Testament right here. I mean, these were the people of God, is what they were. They were the children of Israel. Uh, These were God's chosen people. God says, I've married you in Isaiah, right? Uh, You know, God says, I pitieth them as a father pitieth their children. I mean, God loved the children of Israel. And the relationship that they had with God is so similar to the relationship that we have with God. They could not go into Canaan without God. And listen, you can't fight spiritual battles without God, without Christ on your side. You can't live this life without Him. If you think you can, 
you're sadly and sorely mistaken. And we are, and we all do that sometimes. We fall prey to this. And it's a great difficulty in our life to learn to stay with it, is it not? But from a spiritual standpoint, and if I could say it like this, in a logical standpoint, just logically speaking, that Christians should never have spiritual presumption because we just cannot make it on our own. We cannot make it on our own. We need God in our lives because we're of God. That's my first point. And we'll see three simple points that point to this here this evening of when they say they presume to go up unto the top of the hill, unto the hilltop. And I don't know what your hilltop is. And I'm not trying to over-spiritualize the context, over-spiritualize the text here. But when you think about it, what is your hilltop? What is it, the thing that you say, I've got to do that? I've got to have that in my life. I've got to get that done. For some people, it's a job. And for some, I should say, for some Christians, it's a job. I mean, they got to have a job. they got to do this job. And uh, they're going to do whatever it takes. It could be a myriad of different things. But whatever it is, we all have hilltops that we're climbing up. But if we're doing it without God, my friend, it's going to produce nothing but defeat and discouragement and really depression and sadness and defeat. Because, you see, this, there's another person that would like to help us fall down the mountain, right? Satan. And I tell you what, whenever the baby gazelle is away from mama gazelle, it's an easy prey. You know? And whenever we take our step away from God, we become easy prey. We really do. We're easily tripped. We easily fall into sin. We easily um, get depressed. We easily uh, fall back into some other thing that we used to not do. We, we're easily uh, trapped into things because we're just humans. Amen? That's what we are. I mean, God even says, when he's looking down upon sinful man, he says, he remembereth their frame that they are only dust. It's like... God, every once in a while, before he loses his cool and just, you know, completely kills everybody, goes, okay, they're just dust. You know, that's all they are. No big deal. Not, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's no big deal. It's just, okay, not going to hit the, not going not to kill everybody right now. Not sending a worldwide flood right this moment. But we are just humans. And we need God in our lives. It's a huge issue, and I think it would be one that would be helpful for us tonight. The first simple point is this, is that we need to notice, first of all, our spiritual life is with God. As believers, our spiritual life, and, and I really even don't like to use the word spiritual life because I feel like if I should, I should just say life, because now that you are saved, you are spiritual, Amen. You're saved, you're now just saying, you're spiritual. Why are you spiritual? What makes you spiritual is because you're now indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. 
That's why. And because if you went to John chapter number uh, 3 and verse number 3, and you really don't need to turn there, what you'd probably better to turn to is 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 22. But I'll go ahead and look at John 3, 3, because it makes perfect sense for us that, that our life is with God because our life began with God as believers. As believers, your life began with God. And so if it begins with God, then it must continue with God and it must end with God. Jesus is both the author and the what? Of our faith. He's both. He's, he's not, he's, he, he doesn't just start the thing. He's not just the one that gets the ball rolling, but he's the one that keeps it rolling and he's the one that will end the roll uh, and bring us up and call us up uh, on the roll up there yonder one day. And so uh, whatever that means. Uh, but John 3.3 3 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus asked him this question, but then Jesus responds and says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter in the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spiritual, is spirit. And, and I know this is not exactly what it is, but think about it. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It is spiritual. It, is, it, 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 is, it comes from this, your life now that exists at this very moment as a believer exists because of God. Amen? Romans 8 is, is not this, uh, and, and Romans 8 really, and a, and a great study of Romans 8 helps you understand this, is that your life is not no longer where I'm like natural and I'm spiritual and I'm carnal and I'm fleshly or I'm fleshly and I'm spiritual. No, my friend, listen, before you got saved, you were carny, carnal and fleshly. That's what you were. And when you get saved, guess what? Now you're spiritual. You're no longer carnally minded, but you're spiritually minded. Even in your carnality, when you do things that are fleshly, guess what you are? You're still spiritual minded because you're thinking about carnality in a spiritual way. Does that make sense? Or am I saying too much here? The point being is this, it's very simple, is that our life is with God. And so therefore we can't presume upon, the, upon this thing that we think that I can do it on my own. You can't. 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 22 teaches us also says, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through what? What does it say? Anybody there? Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. And unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. If you are saved by the Word of God, how much more do you need to continue in the Word of God? We need to stay with the Word of God. Turn over to John's Gospel, back to it. I was just there, but you can turn there too to John chapter number 15. Our spiritual life is with God. Our life is with God. doesn't even say that your life is hid in Christ. That's where it's hit at. We can't make spiritual presumptions that I can do this. I can get through this. I'll be okay. How many times have you ever heard a Christian say that before? I've heard, I've heard, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. That right there 
You know, I'm, I'm sending up radars right there whenever, whenever I hear somebody say that. I'll be okay. No, you won't. You won't be okay. The very fact that you're admitting to me that I'll be okay tells me that you're not going to be okay. Because what you're saying is this. You're saying that I can do it. I'm all right. Leave me alone. I can make it. But as a believer, you can't. You've got to rely spiritually back onto God. And we all drift from this. And never, none of us needs to feel guilty tonight if we have. All we need to do is say, you know what? You're right, preacher. You're right, God. You're right. The scriptures are right. I, don't need, to, I need to stop. We don't need to sit here and just feel guilty, guilty, guilty. No, what we need to do is to say, you know what? The scriptures are right. I'm trying to get somewhere. And I'm trying to do it without God. And I don't need to do that without God. I need to serve God. I need to submit to God and live for God and do what God wants me to do. And I need to trust in God. Because God started this whole thing with my life anyhow, and God's going to be the one that finishes it. John 15, it not only begins with God, but look what Jesus reminds us of in John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you? Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Are we getting the point here? Jesus is trying to teach. He's trying to teach the disciples that... Hey, it began with me. I'm the true vine. You are the branches. I started this whole thing. But the way in which you bear fruit is by abiding in me. By not spiritually presuming that I can do it on my own, that I can go out on my own. What happened to the disciples that were left when Jesus went up with Peter, James, and John up onto the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw the Lord high and lifted up up there? But when they came down, there was a scene that was rumbling. Do you remember that scene? That scene that was rumbling all around them was this. There's a man that comes up to Jesus and it says, and accuses uh, Jesus and his disciples and says, I thought that they could heal my son, but they can't heal him. And Jesus looks over the crowd and he no doubt, undoubtedly looks over at his, uh, at his disciples and uh, he, uh, he uh, rebukes them for their faithlessness. And then this man brings his son who has oftentimes, cast, who's oftentimes been cast in the fire and cast in the water and has nearly drowned himself because of the devil that is inside of him. And what does Jesus do? He casts the devil out and the boy is healed from that, that, from that very hour. And then the disciples have a uh, conference. They meet back in the conference room with Jesus, right? They're around the round table, and discussion is happening. And, and, uh, and one of them goes, uh, why could we not cast out the demon? And essentially, Jesus' answer is what? Spiritual presumption. Y'all were out there all that time that I sent you Casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, doing all these miracles, doing these great things. And then, you know what? All of a sudden, you come to a case that's a little bit harder, it's a little bit more difficult, and you think, you know what? Ha, 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 I'll handle this one. And when you do, what happens? You can't do it. Why? Spiritual presumption. And then Jesus says, this kind only goeth out but by prayer and fasting. He said, boys... 
there's some cases that are a little bit more difficult than others. And you just can't think, I can walk into any situation and just handle it on my own. You can't. That's spiritual presumption. And so Jesus says, you've got to stay with me. You've got to continue with me. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And there is that great phrase that all of us should have memorized if we don't memorize anything else from John 15. For without me, ye can do, repeat the next word. What is it? Nothing. How much? Nothing. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I realized that about a few years back. That nothing is really what? No thing, right? Just two words put together. Boom, just blew your mind, didn't I? You know, tonight. Uh, no thing. You can do no thing. There's no, more, there's, no word in the general, there's no word in the English language that is more general than the word thing, right? In fact, uh, I think it is uh, um, Brother Eric's dad, Dr. Getch, uh, who, teaches, uh, who teaches homiletics uh, there at West Coast, uh, will not allow any of the homiletics students to use for one of the points uh, the word thing. Uh, they, they're never allowed to say, let me tell you about three things that God can do for your life. He says, you know, one of the main, you can't say the word thing. I choose something else, all right? It's too general, all right? So choose a different word. And, uh, but nonetheless... As there's nothing, but there's nothing more general than that word. Why? To express to us that there's literally nothing we can do in life without God's help. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing that's profitable. Nothing that's going to bear fruit. When we live without God's help, it produces nothing. It's helpful for nothing. And sadly, it will, in a sense, make us feel like nothing. Because we don't have God's help. And we're not trying to have his help. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire. And they are burned. Now, see, that's not, that's, not, that's not our case. We're not worthless branches. Praise God. The worthless branches get thrown into the fire. He says, but in verse number 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. You see the contrast there? The contrast is that if you don't abide in me, there's, he, says, he says you can do nothing. He says if you do abide in me, he says you can ask what you will and I'll give it to you. So going back to that thing of prayer and fasting. And some of y'all have seen that in your life. You have really seen God move because you prayed and fasted over a situation. You saw God move, literally, because you banked it on God, as I preached on uh, Wednesday night. I mean, you took your chance with God. You staked the claim on God, and you said, no, I'm, I'm trusting God on this one. Maybe it was for your marriage. Maybe it was for your spouse. Maybe it was for your kids. Maybe it was for a, fin a deep financial situation, whatever it was, and you said, no, I'm putting it on God. But you know what? We don't need to just do that with big situations. We need to do that every day. Amen? 
Because what happens if you don't do it every day, it ends up being a week and then it ends up being a month and then it ends up being two months and then you go, how did I get to this place that I'm in? What happened? What happened to me? Well, it was this little by little, day by day, getting away from God and taking spiritual presumption. We too often live upon yesterday's victories. We can't live on yesterday's victories. We can't do that. To me, that was one of the biggest uh, failures of the United States of America in the two wars after the big after the World War II, living on yesterday's victories. We thought we could just go in, throw our shoes in there, throw a, drop a couple of bombs, and people would surrender, you know. But just you know, seeing the asterisks, Korea and also Vietnam, didn't happen. It ended up costing thousands and thousands of lives. My point being is this, is that our life has, is with God. Our life is. The second point is this, is that our spiritual conflict and all conflict in life is spiritual. Again, all of our conflicts are conquered by God. So our spiritual, our life is with God, but all of our conflicts in life are conquered by God. We can't reason our way out of them. We must see that we are not strong enough for the conflicts that exist around us. Jesus, when he was at his, excuse me, um, Peter, when he was at his pinnacle of his walk with Jesus on earth, okay, he's at the pinnacle. He's at the best spot of his life. I mean, he is, this is right before the, uh, the crucifixion. I mean, there, there could be no greater place that he thought he was at, all right? I mean, he said some amazing things. He's done some amazing things. He's walked on water, right? You know what I mean? And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, Satan hath desired to have you and sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Here's a man that is walking with Jesus. I mean, not, you know, somebody said, I'll be like, you know, Luke's walking with Jesus. You know what I mean? But like, Peter was literally walking with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? He was literally doing it. He was one of the commissioned 12 that was sent out by Jesus to go heal people. I mean, he saw Jesus as high and lifted up on the Mount of Transfiguration like Isaiah saw him. I mean, this is the same guy here. He's the dude that says, he's the guy that says, he says, he says uh, that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he makes that great statement that was not given to him from himself, but the Father in heaven gave it to him. But he's the one that gets to make that. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, Satan wants you. But I've prayed for you. Listen, my friend, if it weren't for, the, for our Lord's intercessions for us, we would all be sifted as wheat. You know what happens when wheat gets sifted? Wheat gets sold. And when wheat gets sold, wheat gets crushed. And when wheat gets crushed, wheat gets baked. And when wheat gets baked, wheat gets eaten. It's just the start of a process, you see? The sifting of the wheat is just the beginning of it all. 
He's saying he desires to sift you, to sell you, to, to crush you, to bake you, to, 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 to eat you. See, that's far-fetched. Doesn't seem to be too much for me whenever y'all read 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8, right? Whenever, G, whenever, the, whenever Peter himself says what? Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil as a roaring lion seeketh about whom he may, seeking about, seeking whom he may devour. And the word roaring there, the word roaring lion I found interesting is this, is not the uh, crouching lion like it is, um, some of you might be familiar with this, uh, whenever Cain sins and he says that sin lieth at the door. It's like a crouching lion ready to pounce on a gazelle in, a, in the bush. That's not the word here. The word roaring lion here is that it's the lion that's roaring in the wilderness that's coming at you straight head on and saying, you're in my territory and I'm going to eat you, all right? It's not a lion waiting on a prey. It's a lion waiting on a on a potential on somebody else that's coming in to fight him too. He said, no, no, not here, buddy. Not on my turf. You're getting it out of here. He says, that's what the devil is to a Christian. He's out there ready to just, he is roaring. He is not happy. He is not glad about whenever a Christian does not spiritually presume and just think that they can do it all because he sees somebody like that as easy prey. But whenever he sees somebody that is trusting God and not spiritually presuming and realizing that every conflict that comes in life is not just some uh, run-of-the-mill thing thing, but it is something, not something that's natural, but rather it's something that's spiritual and says, I've got to depend upon God for that instead of just working it out through vain, vain, vain deceit and philosophies and trying to do it the best way that I know how to do it, but truly depending upon God, the devil isn't happy with that. Turn your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. He says here for us, and we don't have the time to to look at all of these, but it just goes to show to us that even more strongly that every conflict in life must be conquered by God because you've got to be even suited up with the right material, right? What does he say in verse 10 of Ephesians 6? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. I mean, we could just stop there, couldn't we? Let's just go to point three. Amen? Finally, my brethren, be strong in who? The Lord and the power of His might put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the tricks of the Satan, the tricks of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness, and spiritual, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So what does he tell us? Now, he says, take therefore the whole armor of God. Put it all on. Don't leave one, don't leave, uh, one off. He tells him in verse 14, he says, Have your loins girt about with truth. Have your own the blessed breastplate of righteousness. Put on the gospel shoes of peace. And uh, take the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, and uh, the helmet of salvation. And be in prayer always. These are, the, these are the elements in which we are to put on in order that we may fight the conflicts that are coming into our life. And if we think that we're going to do it on our own, my friend, then we're just making spiritual presumptions. That's all we're doing. We're not girded up with truth. If you don't have righteousness on, you don't have a helmet of salvation, that assurity that I'm going to heaven and that sword of the Spirit and that shield of faith, 
All of that is necessary as we walk in this life because you're going to face conflict at home, at school, at work, in the workforce. You're going to face conflict at the store, amongst friends, amongst neighbors, amongst family. Conflict is coming. But the only way we'll be able to ready to handle that if we're not spiritually presuming and thinking, I'm going to conquer that myself. But in reality, we've left the Lord in the camp. And the ark of God and Moses and the Lord are back there and we're trying to go forward. And God's saying, no, I'm still back here. I'm not going. Finally, we must realize that our spiritual service is empowered by God. Our life is, with, is hid in God. Our life is with God. All of our conflicts are conquered by God. You see, that's where those people failed at, didn't they? I mean, they thought, well, we'll just go to the mountain. We'll go and take, take, the, take this thing. They couldn't do it because God wasn't with them. And our spiritual service is empowered by God. Somebody said one time, our efforts to benefit our fellow men will succeed only. Our efforts to benefit our fellow men will succeed only, only as they are made in reliance upon the blessing of God. Or to, be, or to state it more succinctly, we can bless others only as he has blessed us. We can bless others only as he has blessed us. None of us are better than each other. All of our best efforts, all of our best efforts are vain and useless unless God is involved. Psalm 108, 12 says this, Give us help from trouble. Give us help from trouble. For vain is the help of man. For vain is the help of man. Unless any of us are too proud here tonight, let none of us think that My Christian help will be helpful too. Vain is the help of man. Vain. If your Christian help is not empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, vain is the help of man. Vain. It needs to be empowered by God. Your service needs to be empowered by Him. Because in Romans chapter number 12 and verses 3 through 8, He tells us about the gifts of the Spirit that He's given to us. And those gifts of grace that have been given to us by God's Holy Spirit are so that we may minister unto others, so that we may help others, so that we may be a blessing to others, and and so that we may be able to uh, nurture others and help others and teach others. He says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, listen to what he says, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You see, God is the one that gives you the ability to do the service in the first place. Whether that's ministry or whether that's teaching or whether that's prophecy or whether that's exhortation or giving or ruling or showing mercy or whatever it is, whatever gift that God has empowered you with by the Holy Spirit of God. And let us, none of us ever, let us all realize that God has given us all a gift. Amen? And we should be using that gift somehow for God. If we're not, we're cheating God. But at the same time, let us never think that I can just kind of do it on my own. 
Uh, we can't. We can't do it on our own. Because he says, without me, ye are what? You can do nothing. You're not going to bear any fruit from it. Our gifts that we have, they are from God. And we must use them for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 5 says this. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers. But ministers. By whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted and Paulus watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. You see, your service, your service must be empowered by the Lord. Whatever you do, you must ask God to help you to do it. Or it is nothing. It is nothing. I don't know exactly who wrote this. But go back to your text in Numbers chapter number 14. Moses tells them a very important phrase here in closing. He tells them this. Because ye are turned away from the Lord... Because ye are turned away from the Lord, therefore the Lord will not be with you. One said that we should even take that word as a comfort. The comfort is not far-fetched. Even the desert of this stern fact, he says. The comfort is found in the fact that the Lord will be with those that do not turn away from him. You see the positive side of this? The oper- he says the law operates in two opposite ways. Law is love. When rightly seized and applied. And in all the transitions of his experience, the reason why we fail is that God has gone from us. Is the reason. The reason why he fell is God has gone from us. Putting the case slow, though, listen to me. Do we oftentimes say that? God has gone for us. God has left us. But listen to what the author says. Putting the case so, we put it wrongly. God has not gone from us, the, the author says. We have gone from God. Well, I just, I just can't believe God let me down, or God did let this thing happen to me, or God didn't let me, God didn't, you know what I mean? Listen to me, my friend. That's not the case. The Scriptures tell you what happens, what happens is this, and the Scriptures are plain. Ye are turned away from the Lord, therefore the Lord will not be with you. The church is nothing without its godliness. It is less than nothing. It is not only the negation of strength, it is the utter and the most helpless weakness to be without God as a church. As a church. I speak to a church here. Amen? I speak to Christians. 
believers, I mean unbelievers, uh, people that aren't saved, I mean, they can live this life without God. Because why? Because their father is the devil. They fit right into this world, right into this scheme. Everything works out for them in that, in, that, in that way, right? Why? Because this is where they're located at. This is who they are. But it doesn't work that way with us because we're, not, we're, we're, we're different now. We're, we're looking for a heavenly city whose builder and maker is God, right? We're not, we're not tied to this world anymore. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. We sing that sometimes, but do we mean that? We're less than nothing. It is the most utter and hopeless and helpless weakness to try to do things without God and spiritually presume upon things. He says that Israel was the church in the wilderness and Israel was nothing without its God. He writes, the number might be six, and this is what I thought was so, was so profound. The number might be 600,000 fighting men and they would all go down like a dry wooden fence before a raging fire without God. Without God in the midst of them. And they were men without God. The church lives, the church moves, and the church has its being in God. The church does not have its being in some high or deep and metaphysical sense that is outside of God. When we forget to pray, we lose the art of war. When When the church forgets to put on its most beautiful garments of holiness... Though the church be made up of a thousand Samsons, it cannot strike one blow at the enemy. Count the church by the volume of its prayers. Register the strength of the church by the purity of its completeness and its consecration. And here's something that is so condemning but is so true. If you number the church in the millions and tell not what is at the altar or at the cross, he says... He says, if you numbered the church in the millions, but you can't find anybody willing to self-sacrifice and anybody that's willing to pray and anybody that's willing to put it all down for God and stop spiritually presuming that I can do things on my own or maybe thinking that I can organize it or, or figure it out or search it out or maybe I can find an answer on Google, you know. Maybe I'll get it there. But we don't go to God If we had a church in the millions, he says, you've only returned the census of a cemetery. Wow. Not the statistics of a living, mighty, invincible host. Genius is nothing. Learning is nothing. Organization is a sarcasm and an irony, apart from the fact that gives every one of them their value and force, and that is a praying heart and a trustful spirit. The church conquers the world through holiness, he says. And what I'm saying to you tonight is this, is that we ought to be so careful not to spiritually presume upon our lives as Christians. We can't afford to. We can't afford to. We can't. It'd be like me in the natural life presuming that I can live without air. It would be, the consequences would be deadly. To think that I could just 